1 Kings chapter 9 and chapter 10 we're going to deal with tonight, that God always keeps his word. We, we know that. We know that's what scripture says. God says it clearly to us. Most of us, in some sense, believe it because we've experienced it. And with Solomon, what we learn is that this is both good news and bad news. Tonight, we're going to deal with the good news part. God keeps his word. And so, um, when God comes to Solomon, as we've seen already, and says, you can ask for anything you want, and he asks for wisdom, God gave him that wisdom uh, that he requested, and then he blessed him and said, because you've asked for that, I'm going to throw in some other stuff. I'm going to throw in fame. I'm going to throw in some money with it. And God kept his word, and we're going to see that. And this passage shows just how completely God does keep his promise to him. Notice, uh, we're just going to look at a couple high points here, chapter 9, verse 19, all the store cities that Solomon had, the cities for his chariots, for his horsemen, whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, and all the land of his dominion. You you know, most of us have, uh, many people at least have um, those storage units. You know, you got to, you'll see, but, but Solomon had storage cities that built and held his stuff. That's, that's how emphatically um, God answered uh, his promise or kept it. Chapter 9, verse 26, you'll notice it says, King Solomon built a fleet of ships, which is near Eloth, um, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And so he's got his own ships that allowed stuff to be brought in, also allowed him probably to travel, which is another sign of wealth. In chapter 10, there's the queen of Sheba that hears about, uh, from way far away, hears about Solomon's wisdom, and she's come to see it with her own eyes. And so fame has certainly been answered by God here. God was keeping his word blessing Solomon. And scripture warns us too, right, that sometimes blessing can backfire. It's, it's a problem. There's danger in prosperity. Now you need to hear this because everyone in here fits into the category of prosperous. Everybody does. Now, i got different levels within this, within our category, but in the world, we are all in the prosperous category, and that puts us in danger. There should be skull and crossbones here, right? Because there's dangers in this. It's not that money and stuff is evil. It's that because money is amoral. There's no moral value to money itself, but it holds such power over us that it's hard for us to be neutral. Not money, but us to be neutral with money. You have to have it to get by in the world, which means it's a necessity. We have to deal with it. But it so easily grabs us by the heart and is able to mean more to us than it should. It raids our mind and it gives us, gives it, it, we give it more position and power than we should. And we see it all the time in our world. Most of us consider the abundance of it as a blessing and it can be. It, it is from God's hand and yet... Spiritually, God warns us over and over about its ability to take over complete focus of what should only be God's uh, focus. He told the Israelites, don't get into that promised land and see the blessing of God's provision so much and then give yourselves credit for it and forget that God is the giver of all this. God's preferred method of nurturing your absolute devotion to him is 
bless the living daylights out of you. That's what he'd love to do. He'd just like to pile blessing. But what, he's, what he knows is that doesn't always work. Sometimes the blessing blocks the view of the blesser, and it actually reverses and becomes a curse. Be careful to whom you give the credit for the good things of your life. It is possible to be wealthy and faithful, being grateful to God for providing it all and using it for God's glory. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs. I think I put this on the screen. This is the prayer. And it's an amazing prayer from a man who ends up kind of falling prey to this. But remove from me, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. I don't want great on either extreme. Just put me right in the middle. And it looks like in chapter 9 of 1 Kings, chapter 9, verse 25, he's doing that. Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings, peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord. Why three times? Because in the law, that's what God asked. Three times the men to do that. He's making offerings before the Lord. So he is still worshiping and he's keeping this, but the seams are showing. And here's how some seams start to show when it comes to the blessing that Abraham receives actually getting in the way of his view of God. First, it can make people make us treat people as less than, as if they are tools for us to get more blessing. When money means more to us than people do, watch out. We're told by the brother of Jesus, James, to be careful how we treat other people with our money. That love of money causes us not to be very loving toward people. And we treat people differently based on how much money we perceive they have. Behold, the wages, the, la- the laborers who mowed your fields, you owe them. You kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord, all, uh, Lord of hosts, right? This warning from James is to say this, they're in your trial before God, Money becomes a person and takes the witness stand and says, this is money that this rich person had and they were supposed to to pay me to the people who worked for them and worked an honest job and they should have paid it, but instead they stole from them, kept back. They had plenty of money to give them and yet they used this as a money to steal from the poor. Your money will actually be a moment of testimony against you in the judgment. That's what James is telling us. It cries out when the rich just can't give it up even to people they actually owe to. Notice this little story about this in 1 Kings 9, beginning verse 10. At the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Hiram, king of Tyre, you may remember he hired Hiram. Hiram is a hired guy. King of Tyre and supplied him with everything he needed to build. But notice this had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress, timber and gold, as much as he desired. King Solomon gave him 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Now that sounds impressive. Give me cities. I'll take cities. Give me me Memphis. Uh, Parts of it. Give me parts of Little Rock. But when Hiram goes, he gets Bay. No offense to Bay. No, no offense to Bay, right? Truman. 
I mean, notice what it says. When Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon given him, they didn't please him. What kind of cities are these that you've given me, my brother? There was conflict. You pay me with these cities, right? I mean, that, what, why, when a guy has been so luxurious and given everything you need to build this stuff, do you turn around and give him a bunch of junk? Well, that's what love of money does. Our view of money can make us treat people bad. James mentions that when somebody comes into your assemblies, James chapter 2, and you notice he smells a little funny, doesn't have nice clothes, and so you say, here, sit on the floor by my feet. But that other guy who just walks in 10 minutes later, and he's got a gold ring on his finger, you move people over and you make sure he sits on your pew. wonder if that ever happens. James saw it. And so that's a problem, right? And in this particular passage, there's even forced labor here. These people he forces to do the labor for him. These are foreigners. He doesn't do this with the people of Israel, but he, he has foreigners. And it says he just uses them. He forces them into a kind of slavery. And that's how you start to do when you become a wealthy person and you're not paying attention to what you do with it. You treat people as, as, as they're, like you, they're, they're kind of like their income determines their value to you. This kind of forced labor, let me just make a local advertisement. There's a group in northeast Arkansas called Hope Found. What they do is they try to help people who are victims of human trafficking, people who are using other people for a menial task and not giving them any money, maybe withholding their passport or even their green card, whatever it is, and, and, and they have no choice but to do this. And in northeast Arkansas, that's happening. And this group is a local group, and I would tell you, you should consider supporting this group. This is stuff Christians do. We help people who are mistreated because we don't believe tr people should be treated like property. And somehow a love of money sometimes makes us feel that way. Certainly makes us treat that people that way. What brand clothes are they wearing? And you treat them according to that, like there's some kind of hierarchy of value in people. And so Solomon would take these foreign peoples among them and make them force laborers to build his cities and even the house of God. There's a second thing wealth can do for us. Wealth can cause us internal tension as we look to what we have as our security. It's a very fickle foundation, to say the least. But we all know how this works. We need money, but it cannot be the source of our value in life. The description of Solomon's wealth is so obnoxious. How much gold does a person or a nation need? If God is the one providing our peace and we trust him for it, he is a means of security. So why do we need so much for self-defense? How much money is enough? And in chapter 10, he shows it. It says he made silver, chapter 10, verse 27, so, so readily available and common, it became worthless like stones. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He, say, he uses Solomon to make this point. Why are you anxious about what clothes you'll wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't work. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more take care of you, O ye of little faith? God will give you what you need. Maybe he'll give you even more. Most of us, that's true. Maybe not, but he'll give you what you need. Can you be content with that? Parents understand this concept. Grandparents do too. You might be well off and you might be very generous toward your grandkids, but you're going to notice sometimes some of those grandkids only come around for the money. They only use you as a resource person. The relationship's not as important as the resources you provide them, and it makes you feel like you're just kind of like a tool for them. God can feel that way for us. He's just there. I just say thank you, and I go on and kind of get involved in my own stuff. Be careful about that. It can cause us to look to our stuff for security. And then there's this question of what wealth is used for. We turn to James again. James seems to be so, so very tuned into this. And he critiques the hearers for their prayers. He says, you desire, you want something, but you don't have it, so you murder. You, you want something, you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. Who? You don't ask who? You don't ask God. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend what you get on your passions. You're only asking for your selfish interests. I understand the temple, that Solomon went way overboard on the temple, but that was for God, I get that. He went even more overboard on his own house. That's getting a little out there now. But I want you to notice something in chapter 9, verse 19. We're just picking up some high points here. The store cities that Solomon had, he built store cities. Now put your thinking caps on. Have you ever heard the phrase store cities before? See if I put it on the screen. Is it Exodus? Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. This is Pharaoh after who didn't know uh, Joseph anymore. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Let's multiply, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh what? Store cities. That's what you do with slaves. It's a sign of prosperity. Make those people, force them to build your store cities. And what does Solomon do? Solomon makes these people build store cities. This is like a sign of affluence. Listen, when the most dominant industry around us is storage units, we've got too much. Seems like you should be generous instead of storage mongers, right? It feels weird when they act like Pharaoh with your power and money. Self-defense, chariots, shields for protection I get, but 200 large shields of beaten gold with seven, 600 shekels of gold in each shield, chapter 10, verse 16. An ivory throne overlaid with gold. Really? Is that drinking vessels that are completely made of gold? What, what is the point of this? And it makes me think of Deuteronomy 17, 17. This is looking forward in the law to the time when God's people would go to kings. And it said, this king that you choose for yourselves, this is God knew what they were going to do, must not acquire many horses. 
He's got chariots and chariot cities, y'all. What does it take to run a chariot? Come on, what, what does it take to run a chariot? Horses. He shouldn't acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Anybody want to just tell me who, how many wives Solomon had? I mean, we don't, it's not in our text yet, but yeah, yeah, and then concubines, and it's all a thousand women, right? Lest his heart turn, from, turn away. <laughs> I wonder if this is prediction. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Solomon's breaking every single rule of the law, every one of them, and he thinks it's okay. The reason God puts stuff in his word is because we're going to do this stuff. This is what we're prone to do, and he's protecting us from ourselves. So when God says, I want you to be generous in your giving, when you give on Sunday morning in that offering plate, it is not just for God. Yeah, it's going to go for God's causes, but it's for you. He's trying to say to you, don't let this enslave you. Set yourself free from it by giving it away. And if you can't, if everything within you just won't let you put that check in there, it's a sign. It's meaning too much to you. That is a that is a declaration of independence that used to go around the table. Now it's in the back. It used to go around the room. Set yourself free, church, from the love of money. And that's what he's doing here. We are all open to the charge of frivolous spending on certain things. Jesus once issued a warning about this, and he revealed a couple of treatments that he wants to incorporate into our lives. One is the rich farmer who was building bigger barns. Remember this? Jesus said to him, or God said to him, talking about the farmer in the story, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be then? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Make sure nothing wrong with you being rich, as long as you are also rich and generous toward God. It's a favor to you. We act, I act like it's a burden sometimes. but it's a favor. The other is this weird parable I've made reference to before about this guy who starts stealing money from his employer and giving it to other people so that later on they have to do things for him. I tell you, he says, at the end of this weird parable, he says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Use your worldly money that so easily roots you in this earth. Use it to benefit people spiritually. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to use worldly wealth that can easily root your heart to earth and instead of doing that, cut yourself loose from it and actually use it to gain friends for yourselves in heaven? How did you know that? I've got it written right here. He's amazing. He's like stolen a look at the document up here, right? He's right. Come third week of June, of June, what month is this? February, my mind is weird. February, two weeks from now, you're going to have a chance to put some money that's not going to go to benefit you directly. This is what he's saying in this parable. It's a way to pay it forward that comes back to you 
in the back end, right? It's like, it's like a weird thing. Instead of spending it on Starbucks, which you consume and it comes out of your body and that's gone. That's $5. It's just been digested away, right? Nothing wrong with that. No wrong with that. But when you can give it to something that goes to someone else and they find out about the gospel and they're going to be in your line in heaven and in eternity we're going to be in lines constantly thanking the people who were part of the influence of why we're there and you will have no idea when a man named Raul comes up to you and says thank you so much for getting me here and you're going to be like I don't even know you well let me tell you what you did there was this February in 2023 when you put your money in the plate and it went around the world and it comes over to Nigeria to this preacher who was trained how to come to my village and preach and he preached and I became a Christian and I got to heaven and I decided to look up everybody I owe. You know what makes you most rich? When the line to get to you is the longest. When the line to get to you is the longest. Because all the people you use your money for that got to, got to the kingdom stands in that line. And by the way, you'll be, you'll be in other people's lines. Promise, We will be in lines a long time in heaven, right? We'll be lining up. But we're going to have a world of a good time while we're doing that. Because, y'all, we're not time constrained. How long do we have? Forever! There's no hurry. And the meals are brought to you in real time, just whenever you're hungry. I don't know about that, but that's something like that. So th- he's saying to us, This is how you keep your money from absolutely costing you your soul and instead securing it. God keeps his promises. And while for this moment, this very brief moment of 1 Kings 9 and 1 Kings 10, this moment Solomon is keeping his end of the bargain. The seams are showing and they're going to split apart. When... When you receive God's blessings, and we all have, it's a time to be very, very careful. It can turn into a trap. The blessings of God can turn into a trap real quick. So you've got to monitor yourself. Why do you think, and if you get paid once a month, you do the offering once a month, you're not breaking any scripture. But listen, the reason why it's constantly in front of you is because we will forget if we don't keep this constantly in front of us. And the other side of the story comes next week. And here's the trailer. Are you ready? God always keeps his word. And sometimes that's not good. Because he's going to keep his word to Solomon. And that's going to turn out bad. And he will keep his word to you. Is that going to be good? Or is that going to be bad? It really depends on how you respond to the blessing he gives. If there's anyone who needs to respond, you know you've been blessed. You know God's been generous with you. And, he is, and he's got every reason to expect that you be generous toward others and that you be generous with praise to him. And that's why you're here on a Sunday night, right? So you're, you're here because of that. But if for whatever reason that blessing starts getting bigger and bigger and being more and more important to you than the blesser himself, you monitor yourself. You don't need to come forward, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we need to say to a group of people, I'm standing in front of you. I'm standing in front of you saying, I've let the blessing become a curse and get the prayers of this congregation. But here's the thing. God keeps his word. He's going to be generous to you. 
once you keep your end of the bargain, the covenant, and you be generous toward others for him too. If there's anything you need to do in response to this lesson tonight, make it known as we stand, as we sing together.